Hi everyone, uh, it's Dave here. I hope you're all doing okay. Uh, thanks for coming along to another episode of Legends of the Spire. Uh, it's a bit of a special one this week. Um, we thought we'd mark the 40th anniversary of the Anglo-Scottish Cup win, which happened in 1981. Um, so we've got two episodes this week. If you've not seen it already, there's an Anglo-Scottish Cup special, uh, which is about half an hour long, um, with Phil Walker. And he's also our special guest today, where we go into a bit more in-depth about his career at Chesterfield. Um, if you've not already listened to Steve Grizovich in one of the earlier episodes, then he touched upon uh, growing up and playing football with Phil uh, back when they were kids. Um, so lovely to now catch up with Phil uh, for him to talk about his uh, time at town. Uh, he talks about uh, play coming up against Liverpool, um, some really funny stories about Arthur Cox, and some of the players around the era like Ernie Moss and uh, Jeff Sammons and Alan Birch and people like that. Um, we also had a bit of a chat about Anglo-Scottish Cup. Most of that footage is in the special, but there's a little bit of it in here too. Uh, and then goes on to the latter part of his career, um, leaving the club to go to Rotherham under Eminem Hughes and then coming back uh, to play under John Duncan at Chesterfield. Um, and then finishing his career with Neil Warnock, so finished with a bit of Neil Warnock as well, which is always good fun. Um, so yeah, I hope you all really enjoy the episode. We've uh, got plenty more to come, loads more players that I've already recorded and other ones that I'm speaking to. Um, so please do subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already um, or to wherever you get your podcast from uh, as well. Uh, it'd be uh, lovely to hear from you if you have got any players you'd like to recommend or if you know any, live near any, have any in your phone book, uh, let me know. Any help, greatly appreciated. So uh, here's our next episode of Legends of the Spire with Phil Walker. So, yeah, shall we start at the beginning? I always like to start off where people started as kids playing football, of which anyone that's listened to the Steve Grizovich episode will <laughs> kind of already have a bit of a sneak peek in that you were kind of having to kick about with him, weren't you, when you were a kid? Yeah, I listened to the Steve Grizovich one. I mean, obviously, you know, a great friend ever since we were kind of what, at the age of eight, nine, ten. Um, we lived probably 250 yards from each other. Um, in Sutton and Ashfield, um, and we had a, a sports field right near our house. And in them days, Dave, you didn't have PlayStations, you know, you didn't have uh, computers. You know, we had nothing, basically. Um, our parents were at work all day, and um, every chance we had, we came home from school, and, and we used to go onto the field, me, Steve, um, and his brother, Alan, and a couple of the friends, and uh, we'd play football. You know, we'd play cricket, and we'd play tennis, um, and we'd kind of, you know, have our Wimbledon final, our test match. And, you know, it's, I know it sounds daft now, but as kids, I remember we used to run out the, the tunnel there, you know, and, and pretend it was a match of the day, you know. And, uh, <laughs> it was a cup final. And, and and obviously that, we talked about it. And obviously, you know, I was really pleased. Steve went on to play in the cup final, a bit jealous kind of thing, because something I always wanted to do, play at Wembley, yeah. and then managed to get there. But, no, we, we had a great childhood. And, um, you know, we, we, we had some great times together. Um, and obviously, then we, we joined a team called Hillix Pathfinders in the Mansfield Youth League. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think probably at the age of 10, 11, you know, and uh, Steve was six foot goalkeeper. And I was a timid kind of striker, you know, with a good left foot, but kind of very frail, you know, and uh, I tend to get overpowered. And, and Dave, you know, in the Mansfield Youth League at that particular time, um, 
there were some great players and Gordon Cowens uh, who played for a team called Clipston Colts and he went on to play for England and Aston Villa uh, the two brothers Mick Saxby and Gary Saxby uh, they played for the same team um, both went on to play for Mansfield and Mick went on to play for Luton uh, and Middlesbrough you know went for big money great players and then a guy called Robbie Cook who played for Woodhouse Manor he went on to play for Peterborough um, and, and Mansfield as well um, and of course Bob Newton you know, all the fans know Bob Newton. Now, Bob Bob was, was in the youth league. He played for a team called Shirebrook Colts, um, which was a tough team in Shirebrook. You know, was uh, <laughs> in a kind of place. And I tell you, I used to be frightened to death when we played there, you know, because, I mean, Steve could look after himself and we had a few players in the team. But I was kind of really timid as a youngster. And, um, you know, and, and I remember going to Shirebrook frightened, really frightened. And Bob was, Bob was, I mean, but they're all great players that I've mentioned. And Bob Bob was kind of, he was a man at 16, 15, 16. And he, he went on to, to play for Huddersfield. Um, obviously went to trial there. I, I went to Mansfield with Steve. We went there as youngsters. And I have to say, I was a Mansfield fan. I laughed, I laughed when I heard Steve. We were both Mansfield fans. You know, we stood on, you know and, and Chesterfield were then kind of rival, you know, because obviously, you know, they don't particularly get on well together. Never imagined as to, as to what was going to happen. And, there's a guy called Alan Humphreys. I mean, obviously the fans have heard this story from Steve, but I, I want to say it because he's the most loveliest guy, Alan Humphreys, who was a commercial manager at Chesterfield. I mean, Alan played in golf in Mansfield and I think he was at Leeds as well. And he took us to his team. It's called Onrick, Old New Road Youth Club uh, yeah. in Mansfield. It was the Premier League Sunday side. And Alan wanted me and Steve to go. And uh, they had a fantastic team, lots of top players. Um, you know, uh, it's unfair to name some because one one guy called Dick Radsky who also went on to, for trials at uh, Chesterfield and Dave Weed up as well, and John Younger played for them, who who had been an apprentice at Chesterfield, um, and we went there. And without a week, Alan suggested that we go to Chesterfield together for trials, um, and so we went across. And it was at the time when Arthur Cox had just been appointed as manager, and went across. Um, we met Harold Roberts. Um, you know, I laughed when Steve because Steve called him Alf Roberts and. He's off Coronation Street, so <laughs> yeah. it was Harold Roberts <laughs> and Sid Lancashire who ran it at a place called Eckington, which is kind of six, seven miles from Chester. And I was, that was a training ground then. And we used to go there across in the evenings. So I'd finish work, you know, and I, I did my plumbing and building. I was never really interested in it because obviously, I, you know, I wanted to be a football player and um, I did my work and then we'd drive across in the evening. We'd train and we'd stop on the way about some food and, you know, talk about, you know, we're on the journey. You know, can can we make the can we make the kind of you know the the goal to become professional football players? And um, we started playing for the youth team and the reserves. And um, I, I remember playing for Chester Reserves at Middlesbrough. I don't, don't forget it because I, I got an hour off work and went up to Middlesbrough with the reserve team. And in there, there was Len Badger. You know, there's Rod Fern, some of the players that had been injured and then playing. There was, I remember playing with these players in the reserves and Arthur Cox had just come as manager. And then we get back at midnight, one o'clock, and I had to be up next morning at five to catch the works van to Nottingham to do, to, to, you know, to do my job. And I used to take the team sheet. You know, we had a little program, a team sheet, and show all the people, like all the, you know, the bricklayers and the joiners uh, and plumbers who, who were kind of older than me, but... You know, as a football, people kind of look up to you and want to be involved, you know. And I showed them the team sheet and there were some incredible players that mm -hmm. I played against all these clubs, you know. Uh, you know, all these t teams, you know, players that weren't in the first team at the time. And uh, and, and I suppose as an 18, 19, you didn't really feel it because you, you, you could you could play all day, couldn't you? You know, you yeah. could work all day when you're young and fit. And 
but it, it it was hard. Um, and of course, it was then when Steve Steve was was brought in and asked to become a professional uh, earlier than me. Um, and I was really pleased with Steve. Obviously, you know, was shook his hand and said good luck. And so he was in there. I think he went in in the preseason of seventy. I think he went in the preseason of seventy seven. Um, I carried on working, but carried on playing for the reserves. And um, you know, I went. Um, I, I, I got pulled in the same uh, in November, just before Christmas. And um, and Har Al Robertson, Sid Lancashire, said to me, the manager wants to see you tomorrow morning. And I said, well, what about? Thinking, you know, I'm going to be released. And he said, no, I want you to sign as a professional. You know, and uh, and I thought, wow, really? You know, and uh, and of course, I went to see off the cops the next morning. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, I would, Dave, I would have signed for nothing. You know, I was playing for nothing as it was, you know, um, I was happy just to uh, sign for nothing. And I forget exactly, but I think I was on about £70 a week as a, as a uh, I was fully qualified as a plumber. Then I got my sitting gills, but I'm not really, I wasn't really interested. It was like just going and get the money to pay for your petrol, to get to training, and yeah. buy your food, pay your board and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think Arthur Cox, I'm pretty sure, and I've still got my contracts, and uh, I think he offered me £38 a week because he asked me how much I was on. And I said, oh, £80 a week. And once again, you don't tell fibs, you tell the truth, you know. And uh, so the way I was brought up. And uh, he said, well, I'll give you £38 a week. You know, uh, <laughs> a six months, I think it was a six-month contract because it was towards Christmas. Six-month contract uh, with a year option, which means it's their option. If they want to keep you, they can. If they can't, let's get rid of you. Once again, this story, it's the same. We basically offered me and Steve the same. At the time, you just sign it. You don't have an agent. You just basically, yeah, I'm a football, I'm a professional football player, yeah. you know, and um, and I came home and, you know, and, and, and obviously my mum and dad and my friends and, and I were just so proud and, you know, determined to make it a success. You know, Arthur Cox was tough. Uh, it was really tough, Dave. Some of the things that we did, you know, um, and I'll tell you a story about one one of the things in training. This was just before I left, and uh, in in, the, in Steve's first preseason, Arthur used to take us out to the Peak District, and um, you know what it's like up there, cold, and we had to wear shorts. You weren't allowed tracksuit bottoms. Mm -hmm. uh, you weren't allowed gloves. I mean, that, you know, you know, thought I never dreamed of, uh, and it was freezing cold. And we went on a run, you know, and. Um, Everybody came back. They went on a run. I wasn't at the club at this particular time, but they came on 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 a, after a six seven mile run. And one of the players said said Steve's had trouble, and he's he's kind of just sat down. He's he's, he's really struggling. You know, he's found it tough. And Arthur Cox um, looked at. We're all all the players were there waiting to get the cars to come back. And he looked in Frank Barlow, the coach, said, "Shall I go and fetch him?" He said, "If he was in the war, they'd shoot him, leave him." And they all got in the cars and went back. He left him. <laughs> and of course, on the way back, Frank Bonner would turn around and obviously just went back and fetched him. And Steve, you know, it, it, it's a shock to the system when you first, especially when you first do a pre-season, you know, because a pre-season is really tough. Even when you're experienced, it's really, well, when you get experienced, you tend, tend to say you've got an injury, so you miss a few days, <laughs> you know, because it gets, as you get older, it gets tougher, you know. And uh, But no, that's a true story, you know. And when I did my first pre-season, I found, found it the same really tough. But Arthur would give you no... Were you there, know, it's it, 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 you no know, mercy. Were there any players in that squad at the time that would dare say something back to Arthur Cox? If he, yeah, <laughs> would, would there be anyone uh, challenge him? At the time, Dave. At the time, Arthur had just come in, and the team was struggling really. And the really experienced players in the team would be Sean O'Neill, Colin Tart, Ricky Epaulette, Rodney Fern. 
And those players, Dave, were dedicated, true professionals. If Arthur Cox, whatever he told them to do, they would do it. And I was the same. I would never, ever disagree with what he said, and none of them would. It was when he started to make signings and some of the players he brought in that things started to change because, um, you know, he, 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 obviously those players were then let, let go. Um, and he brought in, um, you know, a guy called Jeff Sammons who, who played for Stoke City, Sheffield United, Leicester. And i never forget when Jeff came to the ground. Um, I'd just broken to the first team then and I was obviously doing okay, you know, doing really well. And, and obviously... All the clubs, every time I picked the paper up, it was Liverpool was watching me, um, you know, or Arsenal got all the top teams, you know, because I was a young player, broke through, a bit like Steve, really, and I was the next in the line that was going to go and play. And when Jeff came in, he came in, he had a gold chain on, he had a flash Jaguar car, he had a pub in Mexborough. <laughs> Dave, he was a brilliant player. And he was a brilliant football player. And he came in, and of course, having played at the top level, and um, he first met Arthur Cox. They clashed. Clashed badly. When I say clashed badly, Jeff was a player's man. And, and basically, Arthur Cox weighed us. He gave me everybody playing weight. So, you, you know, you're playing weight. And my playing weight was about 13 stone. So twice a week, you were weighed. And for every half a pound you was overweight, it was five pound fine. Bearing in mind, I was only on 35 pound a week, 38 pound a week. You know, and it weigh you twice a week. It was it was a brilliant coach, a brilliant coach, and I thank him for so much. But at times he he was he was ridiculously silly. And when Jeff came in, Jeff obviously end of his career, great player, brilliant. He ran a pub as well at the time. And Jeff Jeff went Jeff had to go on one of these runs to curb. I'll never forget it now. This is a true story. And at the time, Jeff had got a little bit of a hamstring injury. So Arthur Cox had said, well, you're not sitting around the ground. Injured players have to go up to curb and go for a walk. Fresh air, that kind of thing. So we all went for this run. And when we finished, uh, we got to the cars. And it was the same thing. Where's Jeff Sammons and Ricky Epplet, who was another experienced player, end of his career? They weren't there. So Arthur Cox, leave them. Same thing. We drove back to the ground. And then we had to be weighed. And... We were all waiting to see what I went around for a bit because I thought, you know, as you did nothing, I was single, nothing else to do. So Frank, Frank, uh, Arthur Cox sent Frank out to look for Jeff Salmons. This was probably two hours after he'd finished. And on the way up to Kerber, Jeff Salmons, who got his own car, um, he, he, he passed him. So Frank turned around and followed him back to the ground. And he said to Jeff, Frank, who was ex-Chef United player with Jeff, wit, wit, and Frank was, was great, close. He was like, Ryan Clough and Peter Taylor. Frank was like Peter Taylor, close to the players. Are you with me? And that kind of relationship. So Frank was great at the time. So where have you been? He said, well, I went to Bernard Shaw's pub in Baslow <laughs> for a drink. And, if, you know, I was catch up. He said, manager's going crazy. You know, should, why don't you let us know? He said, oh, he'd be right. He'd be right, Frank, leave him. You know, uh, anyway, he got back to the ground. And, and obviously Arthur Cox weighed him. And this is a true story. I was in the dressing room at the time. He was five, six pound overweight. And he said, he said to Arthur Cook said to him, what, what you five six? He said, boss, I'll admit, I'll just have three pints of bitter and pie and chips. <laughs> he said, you'll be overweight if that. But of course, everybody were like laughing apart from Arthur Cox who stormed out. And then Jeff had to go and see him. And um, I think you find him a week's wages for, I don't know, 50 quid or what have you. Um, <laughs> and of course, 
we, we all of a sudden we've got this guy that's coming in that's challenging Arthur Cox. But Arthur, Arthur Cox was not daft. He showed Jeff respect because he was a great player. And he was the sort of player that could go out and, you know, eat badly and, and drink heavily and still come out and run everybody off the ground the next day. But the next one was next <laughs> next morning. Sorry, the next away trip. Um, I forget where we played. And um, we get up in the morning for breakfast and Arthur Cox called a meeting at nine, ten o'clock. So we went into his room. We're all sat in and he walked in and he said, right. He said, who's the clever one out of all of you? And we're all, I'm thinking, what's going off here? He said, and nobody said a word. He says, right, I, I need, I, I, if, if the person don't admit, everybody's fine, 100 pound. And somebody, I think Bill Green, said, admit to what, boss? He said, somebody put an early morning call on his room at four o'clock that morning. <laughs> so he was in bed and the phone rang and he said, good morning, sir. This is your early morning call. <laughs> you know, and of course, me as a young lad, all these things, I just think are so funny, you know, people playing tricks. He didn't like it. He was fuming. And of course, Jack was on the seat with me, boss. You know, a bit of a laugh. It's a bit of fun, you know, a bit of team spirit. Come on. And like, I, didn't, I didn't say anything to Arthur. I was just like, yes, sir, no, sir. Because you got him. That's... But all of a sudden, you know, these things, these things that were happening, Arthur changed. Arthur changed, Dave. And he could see then that, you know, because it was his first job, you know, and sadly he'd finished his playing career early. He'd never played the game. And like Jeff said to him, and it, it came to a head when we'd lost a home game and he came in and he said, right, everybody's in tomorrow morning. That was what he'd do, he'd threaten, you see. And Jeff said, I'm not coming in. I've got a pub to run. And that, he said it just like that. And Arthur Cox went mad and he walked out. And then uh, the, the next morning, Jeff didn't come and he, he threatened to quit the club. And there was things went on behind the scenes and he made Jeff captain. Next thing we find out, Jeff Simmons was captain of the club. And all of a sudden, you know, Arthur had kind of accepted, accepted, accepted that, um, you know, I think he'd learned that his player management, man management, he, he was a brilliant coach, but his man management skills came in. You know, but I, I kept my feet on the ground and, you know, I carried on playing and that, yeah. Dave, I was just happy to play for Chesterfield. What, what a fantastic experience, you know, and playing this team, that's being called one of the best teams they've ever had. The fans were getting bigger and bigger. You know, we were pushing for towards promotion. Talk about getting in the in the old second division. So I, I was, I was in. You know, it was it, every day was just. You know, I was living the dream. You know, and uh, I, I, the money didn't. I didn't care about the money. You know, I, I just enjoyed playing. I didn't want a fast car or anything like that. Although Jeff once again sorted us all out a sponsored car. You know, and. Um, I was living in Mansfield and I had a car. Phil Walker, Chesterford FC, drives Renault. You know, imagine leaving that in Mansfield where I lived. It got scratched and one of the doors got dinted, you know, and because uh, obviously Chesterford and Mansfield ate each other, you know, and uh, I'll never forget the first time I played in the Chesterford Mansfield derby and I scored at Saltgate. We won 1 0. And I, there were loads of my friends there, you know, and of course they wouldn't speak to me for weeks. You know, it was just, I mean, I was, you know, I was playing for chess, it was my job, you know, um, even though I, I'd been a Mansfield fan. But now it, it um, I had some, some great, great experience, some great players. So, um, so for, for younger fans that are watching, tell us what kind of player you were and what your, your, <laughs> your position and your qualities as a player. What, how would you describe yourself? <laughs> I, I always, when I speak to some of the old my old friends, like I speak to Alan Burch, Regular, and Alan Crawford and John Turner, Phil Bonham, I always say, when, when we were watching Lionel Messi on the telly or Maradona, I always say, do they remind remind me of you, of me? You know, because I was left-footed. So being a left-footed player was kind of, 
I mean, I read Rio Ferdinand's book recently, and he said left-footed players are all beautiful players. And and when you watch the left-footed attacking players, you know they tend to be, you know, kind of, you know, more kind of. And in my coaching, you know, I coached Chris Commons, who all the young people know. I had Chris when I was at Mansfield, um, and I coached Chris at Centre Parts, and 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 as a kid, 14, 50 year old, and he was a beautiful. He went on to play for obviously Forest, Derby, Celtic. He played for Scotland in the you know, and they played in the Champions League as well. And so I was left footed. Um, I played off the striker, so I'd play off the likes of Rodney Fern, Ernie Moss. Um, Stuart Parker, Rick Green, who were just there before I, before they left. Um, so I'd kind of play off the striker, and I was I was really quick. Um, you know, obviously made runs. wasn't a prolific goal scorer. I think I scored something somewhere over fifty goals in two hundred appearances. Which you know, top strikers score one in every two games. I scored one in every four. I think wherever I went as an average. But I'd like to think I created a lot of goals with the runs and the crosses. You know, for the likes of Ernie and Rodney Fern. Stuart Parker and, and obviously then when I went on to play for other clubs you know so I was kind of you know uh, like I say you know you don't see many left-footed players around I mean we struggled to get left-footed players even in the England team mm. you know so I was that type of player and sometimes I play wide left a bit like Ryan Sterling when I played on the wide areas I wasn't as good as him because obviously he's in the Premier League but I was a lower lower division version of something like that you know and uh, and like I say, I was quick, quick as, as a, a youngster, you know, and, and created a, a lot of goals. And you know what, Dave? I played in an incredible team. I was so privileged to play in that team uh, and linked all together. With that, Alan Birch was probably the biggest star in the team. He was a brilliant player. Were there any, he, he, to me, sorry. Were there any players that you felt that you had a um, like a good connection with that that you played really well with? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Alan Birch. We, we played really well together. Uh, I mean, Alan went on to play in, in the top league when he left Chester to go to Wolves, and um, and obviously Ernie as well. I mean, me and Ernie, you know, we played so well together. And, I mean, obviously Kev Randall played with Ernie before before Kev. Obviously, Kev was a bit older, and people always talked about Moss and Randall a great partnership. And, and so I was similar played to Kev Randall as well, but I was left sided where Kev was right. They they had a great partnership together, and me and Ernie did. I mean, Ernie. You know, Ernie was an incredible player. We, we used to joke. We, we had lots of jokes together. And, you know, we, we used to joke in, in training because Ernie's strength was obviously in the air, you know, and we used to joke and, and say he's Brazilian, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, because he, he wasn't blessed with skill on the floor, but what a player, you know, what a player in the air, you know. So, and I used to feed off him, you know, and uh, I mean, it's really sad what, what situation that Ernie's in now that all the fans know. And, uh, you know, I, I did a, Charity game from a few years ago because to help him and he's just he's just deteriorating. It's sad, you know. It's so sad for the family because Dave he was the nicest man you could ever meet. He he was like Rodney Fern and Colin Tart and Sean O'Neill. They they were the nicest people, you know. They, they didn't play they didn't play for money. They just loved the game and they would spend time with anybody to help them and do anything. They would never say anything bad about anybody. They were all lovely people. You know, and it's really sad that, you know, what's happened to, to Ernie, you know, and it's just really, as a friend, you know, and it's really sad. But, yeah, so that, that type of player. And Ernie, I remember winning at Sheffield United one day and we, we get on the, we get on the bus and I'd travelled to Chesterfield with Ernie. We get on the bus and we, we won at Hillsborough, I think, or Bramall Lane, big game. We went, it was, right, we're all like, there were me, Danny Wilson, Phil Bonham and Andy Kowalski. Or, are we going to Aquarius tonight or Adam and Eve? I think it was a midweek game. 
or no, it was a Saturday game because Ernie said, it's hey, Ernie, come on, let's go to the Curry's. And Ernie would never go out for a drink. Okay. He said, no, I'm going home to watch Kojak. <laughs> That's true. We laugh. I mean, obviously, I, I speak to his family, daughter, Nikki, regular, and we, you know, I'm saying, am I right to tell things like this? Because obviously, I, I don't like to make, you know, but he said, no, it's just banter. He'd love it anyway, you know. So, and he said, he said, you're not, he said to me, you're not going out, you're coming home. Because I'd I'd only be young, and he, and I said no, I'm going to query. He said no, you're going home. I said no, I'm going to query. He said well, I'm I'm you, you're on, you've not got a car, so I said oh, I'll get a taxi home. So I went to query, and he went home to watch Kojak. <laughs> you know, it's really funny story. You know, but <laughs> you were brilliant. Now, I, like I say, our privilege, Dave. It's just it's a great life, a great career. I just wish I could do it all over again. <laughs> Crawford and finding Walker who's directed it into the corner the corner now gone and Phil Walker takes the bow well Chesterfield really struck anything like their best form in this opening quarter of an hour Alan Crawford provided a beautiful through ball that Walker took into his stride and the shot just had enough sting service this afternoon and the miscue that lets in Moss and that's one nearer the record. Walker who started it all in for Kowalski and the miscue there by Stancliffe into the back of the net from Moss. And all the way through to Walker. Lining it up on the left foot, and it's 3 now. Walker again involved to set Salmons on his way. Rotherham backed off. Salmons didn't hesitate, brushed the fingertips of Ogden into the back of the net. Arthur was very careful on how many youngsters he put into the team, so he mainly filled it with with experienced players. Which, which, you know, obviously the names I've mentioned were all, they were all over. I would think the average age of the team probably would have been about 27, 28, That really, te- that really good team that should have got promotion. You know, it's just so unlucky. And I was the youngest in the team. You know, as a kid, really. Um, but obviously, you know, playing alongside all them players. You know, uh, there's a lot of things happening in game where you get bullied. I was bullied, you know, by by players. I mean, in, in that team, in that year, I played against former Liverpool hard man Tommy Smith. You know, and Larry Lloyd, ex-Champions League winner with Nottingham Forest, and Archie Gemmell, ex-Champions League winner, uh, Kenny Burns, uh, ex-Champions League winner. Nottingham. I mean, these were players that rendered the careers. Now, at the end of the careers, people players don't don't drop down the divisions because that much money they carry on going to media. Then they all carried on playing, and at 31, 32, obviously they couldn't run. And once again, another true story: lined up Swansea at home, Chesterwood Swansea. Swansea had. Ian Callahan, Tommy, uh, Tommy Smith, um, Phil Borsmer, John Toshak, because he was the manager, and uh, all those Liverpool players were incredible stars. And I remember the first minute, Tommy Smith, as he said to me, he looked at me, he kneed me in the, in the back of the leg, he kneed me, and I turned around, he said to me, hey, Sonny, you all right? Obviously, I ignored him, as you do, trying to psychology. Uh, are you all right? And I, I didn't answer, and he said, 
nice stand over there pointing to the cross street and I didn't say anything. He said, pick a seat because you're fucking going in one in the next minute. <laughs> you know, and of course, I just, I just turned around and I did say something and I just looked at him. I said, God, you wish you were quick enough to catch me. And I said it with fear. <laughs> and at the same time, Ernie, who was at the side of me, looked at Tommy Smith and said, oi, you. You, you, you touch him and you'll have me to answer for. And Jeff Sammons and those players all rallied round, you know, so all of a sudden you got a ring round you. And I reacted aggressively, but I was frightened to death, Dave. I said it out of fear. And this happened regular. Kenny Burns, you know, uh, Larry Lord, all these people, they tried to frighten me because I could run. I was quick. I was mobile at that age and they couldn't. So they just tried to frighten you. At the end of my career, I did the same when I was kind of playing against young centre-offs. It's part of the game and, you know, so it is accepted. You're not doing anything illegal, you know, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough game and you have to, you know, have to stick up yourself. But, but I had great, great support with them, you know. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the film about Maradona, but there's a great scene in there where he's strapping up his ankles um, because he got smashed so much on his on his ankles uh, by other players that he was, he kind of had this ritual of strapping up his <laughs> ankles every match. Did, did you ever do stuff like that? Cause it must've been a bit, as a bit of a quicker player, they'll just want to chop you down. Won't they? I, I haven't seen the, the, the film of Maradona, obviously brilliant football player. And uh, obviously, yeah, I mean, he, he got whacked everywhere, didn't he? You know, with, with, the, with, the, with the level he played at, but no, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of doing okay regarding injuries until I had a, a really bad uh, knee, anti knee operation. Uh, but up until that, no, I, I tend to tend to come away unscathed. You know, I, I, <laughs> I mean, a lot of my players say I never made a tackle, and I didn't. I never tackled anybody because that wasn't me. You know, I, I'd just kind of wait until I got the ball in a dangerous area, come to life, and obviously then, you know, either get crosses in for other players or link in. You know, and uh, no, I kind of tried to stay out of the way of it because. I, you know, I, I I never forget, and, and you know, I always worried that um, I've got this worry that players. I mean, I remember Phil Bonneman. He had a, he had a gash on his shin, and it, it, he had to have it stitched in the game. You know, he went off the pitch, and he had some about ten stitches in his shin. Came back and played, and I remember thinking, bloody hell, I hope I never have to have stitches um, because. You know, I, I was really, I, I was, I was even then at 21, 22, I was like really soft. You know, everybody used to say I was soft and they had to protect me. But, um, you know, I, I, so I kept out of tackles, I kept out of the way, you know. And, and when we played Glasgow Rangers, I mean, they had Tom Forsyth, who was like nicknamed was Jaws, top Scottish team player for Scotland in the World Cup finals, you know. And even then, I, you know, I had verbal words with him, just telling him to shut up. He's an old man, all this kind of stuff, you know. But I was quick enough to get away. So thankfully, um, you know, I, I never really, never, they never really took it. They never really, it always kind of got on top of me because, like I say, I was quick and I could always outrun them, you know. So, <laughs> but yeah. And then one kind of get, classic game to, to mention is the Liverpool when you got to a um, comp against Liverpool. I think it was uh, September 79. Um, yes. Yeah, so- yeah. yeah. So, what do you remember about that game? I remember going training. Um, once again, I'm living the dream. I go training, you know, up to the grammar school at, at Chester, where we used to train with all all my friends. And you know, it, it, I mean, this, you know, I was loving it. It's not a job. This is wow, football player. And we and we come back to the ground, and obviously we know we're in the draw, but we we, we got back to the ground. Everybody's there outside. Harold Roberts, who was junior coach there, and still got great friendship with Harold. He was still talking to me after every game and helping me. And he said, "We draw Liverpool away because he's a Liverpool fan." And I'm thinking, what? 
you know, I, I don't know if it was a Coca-Cola Cup or the League Cup, or whatever it was called then, you know, and um, we played Liverpool away. And what? Cracky me, third round, you know. And we were Chesterfield, we were top of the league. We've got a great side. And Dave, we went there, not expecting to win, but we went there not fearing. So we get, we get in the bus and, of course, we set off to Anfield. And, I mean, that, it's like people talk when they play in the cup final. It all goes so quick. And it did that night because it was just an incredible experience pulling into Anfield, you know, seeing all the fans and then, you know, walking down and touching the, the sign. This is Anfield and walking down and onto the pitch and doing your warm-up and you can look across and you think, blimey, you know, Terry McDermott, Grayson, Phil Neal. I think everyone was an international, Dave, because then they didn't rotate players. They took the League Cup as serious as the FA Cup and the Champions League, which was the European Cup that that, that particular time. So everyone was an international. You know, and and, and then I remember um, before kickoff, we, we, we walk down the tunnel and we go to the to, to onto the pitch and we all line up. And as, as I stood on the centre circle, Kenny Dalglish walked up to me because he was like right next to me. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I just thought, and he said to me, in his Scottish accent, which is kind of really rugged, he said, hello, son. I looked at him and I ignored him because that's the way I bought up. Arthur Cox had said to me, these players tonight, and I remember him saying it on that morning, he said, they'll all talk to you, they'll all try and wind you up. He said, do not get involved. If I see you talking to any of them, if I see you getting involved, he said, do nothing. Just just go out there. Don't be chasing the ball because, you know, there's such great players. You won't get the ball off. This is weight. And then when we get the ball, you see if you can make some good runs and get crosses in for any blah, blah, and Fallon Birch and so on. And I, I remember ignoring him. And he was my hero. He was, he, he was, he was, it was him and, and Tony Woodcock and Kevin Keegan, players that, because I was a similar type player, as a forward player that I kind of role modeled myself on, you know, and, and watched them and, you know, and, and tried to do what they were doing. I wanted to play in the top division, hopefully with Chesterfield, you know, but anyway, we, you know, the game kicked off and I remember Graham Sooners, he was a nasty piece, you know, some terrible tackles on a couple of our players and there was a good crowd there. Well, there was a, a big following from Chesterfield. So we lost 3-1, but, um, you know, Alan Birch scored and it, we, we were never not in the game. And then going on to uh, it's anniversary year, so it's 40th anniversary um, of the Anglo-Scottish Cup this month, uh, so the end of March. Um, so first off, I want to ask, what was the Anglo-Scottish Cup? Because I know it was like replaced. It was the replacement of the Texaco Cup, wasn't it? When Texaco decided to pull their sponsorship. They just kind of created a new competition. But uh, but I wasn't born until 1983. So tell me what was the Anglo-Scottish Cup? Well, I saw one of the questions you told me to ask. I'm busy researching last night, doing my research. Because I, because I, I'm, I, you know, I, I won it. And, you know, we're still the holders. Because well, it has been played. I'll tell you that in a second. But I said, and I didn't know what it was till, till I, I looked it last night. But obviously, you mentioned the Texaco Cup. So basically, the Anglo-Scottish Cup was, and I, I've only just found this out like last night. This Anglo-Scottish Cup was formed. Uh, to replace the Texaco Cup, which was right in in, in, 19, in the mid 1970s, and it was to get Scottish teams to play against the English teams. That's why it was formed. Um, and, and obviously, when 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 we when we entered it, we entered it obviously um, in the pre-season um, with, with English and Scottish teams. I presume it must have been Arthur Cox that would got got us in it, you know. And it was like a pre-season tournament. We was we was in a group with Sheffield United, Grimsby, and Hull. 
And there was about, I think it was eight groups, and obviously some of the Scottish teams was in the other group, including the mighty Glasgow Rangers. Um, so, so basically, um, we was and we, we we actually won the group. We we in the preseason games, we, we won the group. So as then then as group winners, uh, we went into into the quarter final um, to to obviously to to, uh, to to be drawn Glasgow Rangers. I think it was three weeks before that game that Arthur Cox left. Before the Glasgow Rangers game, Arthur Cox left. Um, went to Newcastle. He, he, yeah, he left. We, we played Oxford away. Um, we played Oxford away and we'd won. And on, on the way back, we, we, we heard the rumours. As we get off the bus, he, he, he said a farewell to everybody. Uh, and he did say to a couple of players like Phil Bonniman and Danny Wilson, I'll be in touch. Because I think he wanted to take them with him. And, uh, you know, he just said to me, good luck, son. You know, and uh, just keep what you're doing and hopefully you'll get to the top. And, you know, we shook hands and, and, and obviously he went away. But, you know, I mean, lots, lots of sporters won't know this, uh, Dave, but... I remember going up to Scotland and, of course, once again, we're playing at Glasgow Rangers, Ibrox, and you know they're going to pull a full side out. Mm. The ground then wasn't, it was, in, there was a lot of building works going on. So, you know, there was only the stands up behind each goal and the main stand at the, the front, where obviously it's really old stand, but the far stand was being built. So that was like a building site. Um, I still think there was a good crowd there. I still think probably 12, 15,000. Yeah, I think it was 15,000, I think. 15,000, yeah. Um, and once again, I remember, and not lots of sports know this, we sat in the dressing room at um, half six, quarter to seven, I think it was half seven kickoff, and um, Frank's giving his talk. All of a sudden, the door opens. Guess who walks in? Who? Arthur Cox. Oh. <laughs> Arthur Cox walked in the dressing room, quarter seven, ten, seven. Um, deadly silence. He walked in. Um, to this day, I'm pretty sure Frank didn't know that was going to happen. Um, I, I, you know, I might be wrong. He might have said, but I, I'm pretty sure he didn't because of the reaction of Frank. Frank just froze, looked. Everybody looked. Arthur Cox had that. You know, when, when he, he said to Brian Clough, when he spoke, you'd listen and you'd just stand still. He walked in and we all sat down. And uh, no, it was a couple of us kind of just walking around. You were kind of getting yourself really psyched up. And he, you're right, everybody sit down. And everybody sat down. <laughs> and he just said, I, had, I think you remember he said something like, you know, I got us into this competition. And like when I first talk, at the start of pre-season, I told you, you enter competition, you enter it to win it. He said, you're great players. He said, go out there and, and do me proud because I, put, I built this team, you know, I put it together. Obviously, Frank's took over it now. He's the manager, give him respect. Blah, blah, blah. He said, I built this team. Go out there and obviously do me proud and just feel proud and walked out. <laughs> and of course, you know, Frank never said anything. Nobody said anything, and then Frank just carried on, and you know, and, and we, we we went on, went out, <laughs> and of course, then we went out and we kicked off. You know, and uh, you look at their team sheet, I and mean, they had. I'm pretty sure, Dave, that you know we beat them over two legs, but I'm pretty sure the team that they had, I think, a few weeks after that, they played Celtic and beat Celtic with pretty much the same team. That's what I was led to believe. Mm. You know, so yeah. There's a great, there's a great advert for cigarettes on the back, and uh... <laughs> the way things have changed. I mean, that's Sandy Jardin and Tom Forsyth were the two centre-offs that me and Ernie played against. Both were Scott. I mean, once again, sadly, Sandy, Sandy Jardin died recently, but they were both four Scottish internationals. Now, I would imagine they would have probably seven, eight. The goalkeeper was a Scottish international who, who I scored against, and uh, there was Willie Johnson. I'm sure they had six or seven full Scottish internationals. 
Um, and it, they were very, very aggressive. Um, the, the, we had we had a, a good following, but their fans were very aggressive as well. And you know, the referee was was a bit weak. Um, but once again, you know, we we, we scored early and, and and we went on to to hold them. They were, they were stunned by us because it was a good side. We we came away with a one one draw. And the thing was, we travelled back home that night. You know, we didn't get back home till about six o'clock next morning. <laughs> Yeah, most teams would have stayed in a hotel. We stayed in a hotel on the way there, not on the way back. It was horrendous, you know. But once again, it was, yeah, to, to play there and to score. I mean, it was just incredible. You and, know, then the, it, uh, and then the return leg, it was like the been like the context of the time was that it was a Rangers' first kind of trip into England for about three years or something when they played yeah. Aston Villa and there'd been a bit of trouble against Aston Villa. Yeah. And then there was yeah. like about 5,000 Rangers fans that then were coming to Chesterfield, came to Chesterfield, and there was this kind of anticipation that there'd probably be trouble from the Rangers fans from that match. So do you remember the build-up to that game? I, I do remember it, because once again, it's a journey that I was on and I just enjoyed every day of it. I can remember we went into training the same that morning. Obviously, Frank was managing. Frank tended to... Uh, Frank tended to kind of, you know, keep a lot of the Arthur Cox things. He was his first manager of position, so he kept the side the same initially. And, um, he, you know, he kept, so we'd train in the morning. And I remember, Dave, going to the ground in the morning. I got there at about half nine, quarter to ten. And when we pulled into Saltergate, into the players' entrance, there must have been 150 Scottish fans all there with the flags and cans of beer, you know. And, um, and obviously... You know, a lot of them drunk at that time because all the pubs were shut. Basically, Chesterfield closed all the pubs because of the trouble, risk of the trouble. And at that time in the morning, there was a lot of them there. And we we got the cars with with your name and Chesterfield Football Club on. And I remember they were really not not a, they weren't abusive. They were just you know sending banter, calling us you know lunatics and things like that as we drove out the ground and we went to the grammar school to train. Mm. So we train and then um, once again we talked about the task ahead of us: one one draw. We're at home. Full house, and of course, I just, I just thought, wow, what an incredible, what incredible game this is going to be. I, I was just loving. It. The kickoff couldn't come quick enough. They won three nil at home against Rangers, so it was like four nil, uh, four nil on ag- four, uh, four, four one, four one on aggregate. So, yeah. did you get chance then to enjoy that match? Because there must have been a point where you're like, oh, we're through now. So you, you've got, and normally in a match like that, it'd be really. <laughs> Tense right through to the end, but did you actually get a chance to just enjoy it? Enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, once again, I, I swung a corner in after probably five, ten minutes. It went over the goalkeeper's head again, hit the post, came back, hit the other post, came out, and Phil Bonneman, who was an ex Rangers player, he was a brilliant player, he scored. So we, we go one nil up. So I could have scored direct the corner in both legs against Glasgow Rangers. Imagine if that had happened, it would have been incredible. Uh, and then Phil scored again with two nil up. And of course, we, yeah, I mean, their manager, John Gregg, the famous John Gregg, had been in the crowd handing all sheet, all the players had handing all autographs out and throwing stuff to try and calm them down and pleading that there's no trouble. So at 2-0, you know, they, they've suddenly gone quiet. You, you start thinking, will there be a pitch invasion? The only way we're going to lose this game is if there's a pitch invasion. But it, it was a horrible night. It was raining really heavily. Um, and, and they had a penalty as well, which John Turner saved. Uh, I don't know if that was at 2-0 or what that was at 3-0. I can't remember. But Ernie... Ernie scored the third goal. The penalty, penalty might have been a 2-0, but Dave, 
when you're playing against a team like that, the game's never over. You know, you you, you want to all of a sudden think, ah, take it easy. You, you never. You want to fourth. You want to fifth. You want to sixth. You're with me. That's the way we were we, we were taught. And no, we would never. We would, we would enjoy it though. Yeah, we I enjoy. We all enjoyed every game because the football we played. We played great football. You know, we were a team of mates. You know, we were like brothers. I mean, we couldn't go anywhere at the end of the game, so we were short. <laughs> Normally we go to the Aquarius or the Adam and Eve, you know, and all the players would go together, have a few drinks and everything. We couldn't go anywhere because it was short. So I think we had a couple of beers at the ground and uh, and then just went home and came in the next day. And the next day we came in, obviously we got we, we was in, in the race for the third division championship. So we were kind of brought back down to earth, you know, preparing for the next game. The last time Rangers supporters came south was in 1976, when they inflicted serious damage in and around Aston Villa's ground. This time, though, things went much more peacefully. The unlikely game they came to see was Rangers playing third division Chesterfield in an Anglo-Scottish Cup tie. Yet such were the worries of both clubs and police that the Rangers manager made a personal appeal for a truce before the game. His retreat from the terraces was caused merely by over-enthusiasm. Both he and his players spent almost half an hour signing autographs and giving away souvenirs. Of course, if this goodwill gesture had failed, a big police operation had been laid on to keep control. Around 500 men had been brought in to protect the town and to ensure that the riots of 1976 were not repeated. It's the first time we've been in England for, for quite a few years. Uh, let's face it, we want to come back down to England and play. But we've got to show everybody, yourselves included, the TV people, uh, the rest of the media, that uh, we can't come down and behave ourselves. And that's just what they did, with only six arrests all evening. The rain helped, and so too did the embarrassing performance of the Scottish Premier League club. Chesterfield's first goal came from a corner. And having fallen once for that simple tactic, the Rangers' defence promptly fell for it again. It was Phil Bonniman's second goal. Ironically, he was a player discarded by Rangers five years ago. It might have been free when a Rangers player palmed the ball away from the goal, but the referee didn't spot it. But with the third division leaders carving up the Scottish defence, a third goal was inevitable. It came in the second half from Ernie Moss. And on a night when Scottish football looked more like school soccer, the final irony. A penalty for Rangers, saved by John Turner. By this time, though, the Tartan army had quietly retreated to their coaches. And that win, of course, puts Chesterfield into the semi-final of the... Um, and obviously, you were thinking then, you knew you were playing not scouting. Once again, I used to go and watch them play as, as I watched Mansfield and Forest as a youngster. I never played at Meadow Lane. A lot of my friends um, were not scouty fans as well, so that was exciting. Um, it's a game I, ne I, ne I nearly never made, though, because a few weeks before that game, um, I went into training and um, Bill Green said to me, the manager wants you, and I thought, well, what's that in here? So I went to see Frank and he said, sit down. So he said, just to let you know, um, you're not here anymore. You're going to Blackburn Rovers. They've, um, they've made a bid for you. Um, this would be you know, late February, early March, before the... Before the uh, before the final, and uh, he said you're going to Blackburn Rovers, who were in Division Two, and um, you know, and you got to be at at, at uh, Ewood Park at twelve o'clock, and and I didn't have an agent, you know, 
I, I very really drove far on my own, you know, and um, I was thinking, my, my head was all over the place, and I, and I, what, what, I, don't, I don't want to go, on. I want to stay. So, Phil, you've got to go. There's, you know, they've offered, I think they've offered something like 80,000 for me, and, and a player called Andy Crawford who was a striker. It's quite clearly Frank, obviously, wanted somebody to score more goals than I was doing. And um, I remember coming out of the, his office, and I went down, and I remember going to, to Alan Birch, and, and Alan Crawford, and he walked in before I went, because Bill said to me, you've got to go now. I said, no, I need to speak to my friends. And I went in and told them. And they were all in shock, you know, and said, well, good luck. You know, if we don't see you again, good luck. I said, well, I don't want to go. <laughs> but anyway, I've got to go. So uh, I got in my car and uh, I went off up there and met Howard Kendall. And um, obviously in second division, you know, he was a real, another one that I'd seen on the telly. And, you know, and he said to me, I want you to come here and help take this club to the top league. I see you playing in the top league and stuff like that. And, uh, and you know, we want you to come and took me out of the pitch. And, and when he offered me the contract, he offered me, I thought, cracking me, an incredible contract. You know, because I was still on not a very good wage at Chesterfield, you know. Because uh, and money had never really bothered me. But he offered me a lot of money, a lot of money, an incredible contract, three-year contract. And uh, all the time, I, I, my, my heart was in Chesterfield. I remember driving back. And he said to me, I kind of said, obviously, the deal's only going to go ahead if Andy Crawford agrees to sign for Chesterfield because we can't afford to pay the, whatever it was, 150, 200 grand Chesterfield want for you. So uh, I went back and I got back probably six o'clock-ish and spoke to my mum and dad, and I was still living at home, and spoke to my girlfriend. And uh, and that, that night, I didn't want it to end because I didn't want to leave, you know, then because I thought next day I'm going to go up there and... And, um, you know, I, I'd said I'd go into Chesterfield, pick my boots and everything up and say farewell to everybody. When I got into the ground, uh, Bill Green said, manager wants you. And I went to see Frank. He said, sit down. And I said, what's the matter? He said, the deal's off. And I, I, at first I thought, I'm glad. And I didn't say that. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, Andy Crawford won't come. Um, you know, we've offered him money, but he don't want to drop a division. So basically the deal's off. And he said I'll, I'll ring out Kendall and you can speak to him now and he wants to have a chat to you. And Frank went out of the office and I just spoke to Howard and Howard said to me, I'm really sorry, son. He said, you know, I'm sure you'll play at the top level one day. I'd like it to be here, but we just can't afford the money they're wanting. So good luck, you know, with your career and if, if you need help, you know, and he was lovely, really lovely man. And Frank came back in and, and our head was thinking, hold on a minute, you know, Frank didn't really want me here anymore. It's Chesterfield, you know, I want to play with you. And he, he, he sat down and he said something to me then, which was really strange. He said to me, obviously, you're still here. Can I ask you first, said, do you want to play Saturday? And I think we was playing Portsmouth at the time. This was probably Thursday. I looked at him and I remember looking at him saying, and he was his first managerial job. And, you know, and, 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 and I was a bit more experienced than what I was as a young boy. And I remember saying to him, what do you mean do I want to play? I don't understand what you mean. Um, he said, well, I'm just thinking, is your head right to play? And I said, Frank, it wasn't me that wanted to leave. I said, you want to? You know, she says, no, I want you to stay. I said, no, you don't. I said, it's quite clearly, you're happy to let me go. And I said, it's a bit, I would imagine it's inevitable that I'll go somewhere else. You're not being able to move me there. Because I was starting to speak up myself. And I said, no, I want to play. I want to play. And I want to play for Chesterfield forever and go into the second division with Chesterfield. Because we, we, we stop a league. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember going back in, training with the lads and, you know, they were just great and say, glad you stayed, all this kind of stuff. And I remember that day or the next day, it was all over the papers in the Chesterford Star that the fans had got up a petition, don't sell Walker, you know. Um, I forget how many fans had done it, but and I remember thinking, that's so nice, you know, to, to you know, because obviously I love them and I love the club 
and I, I'm, you know, I want to go up to second division of the club, and you know, I'm not going to play anything above Scottish Cup final. But then, obviously, thankfully, I'm still there, and so I got that training, and I played on the Saturday. I think we won. I think we beat Portsmouth three 0 if I remember, and I was back in then. But it did. It, it had set a rift between me and Frank, you know, and because I knew every time. He spoke to me. I, I'm thinking, where am I going to go now? I knew I was, I knew I was going to go because he, he quite clearly didn't want me there. And yet, I'd done so well. I, you know, I was part of a really good team. But I think they needed the money. I think the club was starting to because they'd spent a lot of money on Bonnyman, Wilson, Birch, and there was talk about financial problems. But I was there when we played Notts County, and um, the first leg, obviously, we, you know, we, we drew Notts County for the first leg at home in front of ten thousand people. And it was a big game. It's Anglo Scottish Cup final at Meadow Lane. Uh, sorry, at Salty at the first leg, and then the, the second leg there. Dave, they had. I'm not sure it's four or five full internationals. I know the goalkeeper, Radi Ivramaric, Ivramaric, was Croatian Serbian. Yeah, he, Ray O'Brien, Ray yeah, O'Brien, Republic of Ireland. Yeah, Serbian. Um, Ray O'Brien was Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland. Um, then they had Don Masson, who played in the World Cup finals for Scotland. He was a brilliant midfield player, Scottish international. Mm-hmm. And then they had uh, Rashid Harkook, who was a, a kind of really, kind of really aggressive. Um, he was Algerian, I think he was. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure Ian McCulloch, who played up front, I think he'd had maybe played in the Scottish t- Scottish squad or some Scottish appearances. So they were, and they were they were doing well in the first division. There's the squad. Uh, there too. Howard Wilkinson, forming the manager, was manager, and they had Brian Kilcline and Pedro Riches, the two centre backs. And I tell you what, Dave, they were great players. I'd watched them, and I knew I was going to be in for a tough battle. Both Brian Kilcline went on to play with Steve and win the cup final at Coventry. Pedro Richards played several games at the top flight. Sadly, he died very young. Um, you know, obviously, really had a, had, a, had a problem, but he was a great. They were great players, and uh, they came to Saltgate, put a big following. And once again, that that goal came from my corner. I, I think that that goal you can see it. It's on. It's, it's on. Uh, it's online. Um, I, I swung a corner in, which, which I used to quite. And there was a bit of a scramble, and it dropped down. And it was Ernie who, who obviously got the finishing touch to it. Poked it in, didn't he? Yeah, poked it in in front of the full crowd. And you know, we they had chances, and we had other chances. But beating them at home one nil, uh, it's not a big league to take to Meadow Lane. Um, but obviously, you know, we got a goal. They weren't away goals count double then. So we have a one-goal lead to Tekken. So Notts County equalise, um, and then it goes to extra time, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Which, which I suppose when you win, it makes it much more exciting, doesn't it? Winning <laughs> after extra time, but that's the first time. That's the first time, Dave, I've ever played extra time. I think it's probably the last time I've ever played it because um, you know, obviously you didn't have extra time then in the FA Cup and things like that. So yeah, I mean the Hoops crowd, they scored. Uh, it was one-one, one-one on aggregate, so it goes straight to time. And the, the biggest fear was penalties, because I remember thinking, you know, I, I didn't take penalties, and I, I, I was not really confident taking the penalty. And you know, because Alan Birch used to take them all, and I think then I was starting to think, I hope we don't go to penalties. Mm. But you know, it, it could go either way. We sat on the pitch, and Frank came across, and we were chatting, and you know, and once again, I'm sure their manager told them the same that you know they could win it. We could win it, you know, one chance. And then obviously whoever takes the chance will, will win it. So, yeah, we, we go 15 minutes each way into extra time. And um, I think it ran to end. Um, and then, of course, it's, it's, I don't know, minute, minutes left of the second period of extra time. We've got a throw-in on the right-hand side. And the ball had come into me. 
And I was against, I think it was against Pedro Richards, and we'd kind of, a lot of verbal clashes together. You know, he was very aggressive, and I was learning to be aggressive, so I could look after myself. And I remember he came into me, and I managed to turn him really well. It was like a bit of Dalgleish, you know, turned him, dropped the shoulder, turned him, and I put the ball across. And Alan Crawford, who would come on as a substitute, Alan was a great player, very small, um, but he used to score so many great goals with Ghost in. You know, because people tend not to mark the little player. And he, he, he sneaked in and he managed to get a foot on it and poke it in. And of course, what a goal. Out of nothing, really. And of course, we were just kind of, wow. You know, we went crazy. And um, I think they played a bit of stoppage time and, you know, they had a lot of pressure in the end. But we held on to win it. So, so then, if we kind of zoom on a little bit to your... Um, you had... Uh, a season at Rotherham, well, uh, a season and a bit at Rotherham, um, and you had a loan spell at Cardiff as, as well around that time from Rotherham. Was it was it was it weird not playing for Chesterfield after? after all yeah, that? I mean that that after the after the not scouting game, um, you know, after after we missed out on promotion again, um, I was still at the club, um, I was still on the contract, and um, and obviously the team started to break up. I mean, I'm pretty sure that summer the first one was to go was Alan Birch. Um, because obviously I think the club was struggling financially and Alan Birch went to Wolves um, he, and he was a major loss because we had, we had a, he was one of the big players in the team mm. uh, he went um, and, and then obviously um, I think Phil Bonham was one of the next ones to go so all of a sudden the team was starting to break up um, but I, I, I was still in the team um, you know still in the team uh, for a while but then I, I was dropped um, and obviously he bought in Dave Windridge, a couple of the young players, Martin Henderson, he bought him in, Calvin Plummer, they were getting the clubs on loan. And you can see what was happening to the team. It was basically the end. Ernie, Ernie left as well. Um, you know, and, and as my contract came to an end, um, it, it all came to a head. And we had it, we, we did have a, a really bad clash with me and Frank in training because he um he basically he dropped me out of the team and he put me in the reserve team. And um, I, I didn't really want to play in the reserves because, you know, I, I saw myself as a first-team player. And I, I just said to him, I'm not hanging around here. And we had a couple of... He sent me off from the training, from the training ground one day because I wouldn't do what he asked me to do. And, you know, I wasn't being awkward. I was just basically look, saying, look, this is the end, I'm afraid. As much as I want to stay, it's not going to happen, is it? So I'm not doing that. I'm not playing for the reserves, you know. You have to play. I'm not playing for the reserves. End of story. And I, I went... I went... I went... Back, I went home, back to the ground. Um you know, and obviously I, I had to then train with the youngsters, um, which was not very good. And uh, I did train with the youngsters for a while. Um, and then there was stories that I was going to Rotherham. And I was in the old-ass pub. And um, a former Chester player called Billy McEwen, uh, who the fans will know, he was a great player, midfield player. He was a Rotherham coach. And um, I saw him, he came up to me in the pub. And I was in the pub with a few players. And, he, and I, was with, I was with my wife at the time. And he came up to me, oh, my girlfriend's with me then. And... Um, he says, oh, he said, are you all right, Phil? I said, yeah. He said, oh, he said, Emily News wants to speak to you. And Emily News was in the old-ass pub. He'd been to the game. He said, they've been to the game tonight and Emily wants you to come to Rotherham. So I'm thinking, Emily News, cracking me. I didn't realise he was in there. He was sat on the corner, he can't just so. And I went round, he said, oh, come here, son, sit down. And he shook me hand and I like, Emily News, you know, cracking me. He was like mad watching for England. Before I was a professional, he was another one of my idols, you know. And he was there in front of me. And I, I, I said, he said, obviously, I've, I've spoke to Frank. And I said, well, he's never said anything to me. He says, well, he won't because I've offered four players for you, four older players. 
you know, because he wants to get rid of him. He was trying to, I want to take this lit club, roll him into the first division. I want to become Liverpool manager. And he was like, he was a great guy. He was so enthusiastic. And I and I said to him, you know, I'm enthusiastic. He says, oh, you're a good player. So you come to this club, I think I'll be 25, and you can take the club. We've got Ronnie Moore, Tony Tower, Jerry Guy. They've got a great team, Joe McBride. And they were up near the top of the second division. And he wanted me as a third striker. And um, he said, but I can't afford to pay the money. They wanted like 200 grand for you. And by that time, my contract had run out. But then there was no freedom of contract. So the club just kept paying me week to week. Um, and I was training in the reserves, training with the kids, that kind of stuff. And um, anyway, so I went to see Frank Nest. I said, what's what situation with, um, you know, with Rotherham? He said, well, we don't, I don't want to sell you there. I don't want you to go to Rotherham. Um, so, what do you mean? He says, "Well, they didn't want you to sell you to a local club." You see, that's the, that's another thing the clubs tried to do. You know, if a Chesterfield player gone for Rotherham or Manchester and you start scoring goals, then it's here with me. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. said, I think he said he said Chester City interested in you. You know, and uh, and looked through all the clubs, and I said, "Well, I don't want to go there. I want to go to Rotherham." You know, and uh, he said, "Well, at the moment you can't." He said, "But let's see what happens." Anyway, so. Emily News is ringing me every night at home. And sometimes my wife would answer the phone and of course you go, it's Emily News. Like, you know, yeah. Emily News was like, wow, you know, he's like, you know, speaking to like Pep Guardiola now, you know, he's a massive, massive, massive player. And uh, anyway, so I actually met him in, in the pub called The Young Vanish, um, which is in Glapwell, near the M1. Towards the street. He rang me and said, can you come and meet me tonight? And... Um, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, because I think we're close to doing a deal. Frank had never told me. So I went across and uh, he, he came in. He was already in the pub and I went in. He said to me, what do you want to drink? So I'll have a Coke. He said, come and have a beer, have a beer. And I said, no, I don't drink. It's Thursday. I've got to get, you know, I've got, I think I said I've got a reserve game. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're still in the reserves, I think. And he said, don't be silly. I said, no, I, I don't, don't drink. And they, okay, go ahead, have a Coke. And we sat down. I'll tell you what, Dave, within a matter of, 10, 15 minutes, the pub was full. People had seen him and they're ringing the mates to come. And, and he said to me, I think we better move because, um, you know, obviously it's getting a bit, you know, a lot of people asking for autographs, photos and things like that. So I better not, because obviously, Danny, it's really legal what you're doing, mm. tap, tapping a player up. It would really scat, frowned on them days, although it happened everywhere. So I went outside and sat in his car and he said to me, you know, if, if, if I can get the deal through, uh, will you come on a three-year contract? And once again, the money he was offering, it was just like, incredible you know wages triple the what i was earning at chesterfield plus huge money to sign on and nearly half my mortgage you know signing on fee you know and my mortgage then was only fifteen thousand, but huge signing on fee to to come to a, a big you know a club that was obviously got the money to do that so um i said yeah obviously i'll come and he said well I'll, I'll i'll get in touch i'll speak to frank tomorrow in the office he, he actually offered one of his best players called mickey goodin who was a brilliant player as a midfield player but he was kind of he obviously forsaken him to get me because he wanted an extra striker. So, you know, uh, I went into the ground next day and Frank had me in and he said, oh, he said, uh, you, you've got to go back to Rotherham. Um, the deal's agreed now. Um, you know, Mickey Gooding's coming here and you're going there. So um, we kind of shook hands, but, you know, it was just like, a, we didn't really say much. I got like a year, year and a half my contract left to go and, and um, they got back fit. So he put me back in the reserves and then that's when John Duncan John Duncan phoned me and um, said, well, why don't you come to Chesterfield? Yeah. We're pushing for promotion to the fourth division. Was that uh, uh, was that weird? <laughs> Did you ever think you'd get your chance again back at Chesterfield? It must have been a bit odd. I thought, I'm going back to Chesterfield. Wow, great. You know, 
Dave, I'd realised then with my knee situation because I was having to kind of rest money and ice it. It was really sore after games and I, I was, what, 27? And I knew then, I think, you know, as a footballer, as a striker, probably 30, 31. Mm. So I knew that then I'm going to have to be very careful what I do. I can't, I'm not 21 anymore. I can't be running everywhere. I've got to be careful training because it kept blowing up. And I'd seen the specialist and he said to me, you know, you've got inflammation in, in your tendons and your bone. It's, you know, it's a bad operation, cartilage, blah, blah, blah. But just take anti-inflammatory tablets and, and away you go and just try and ride through it, you know, just reduce your training. And, you know, so I knew my time, my time at the top level was not going to come. So, um, you know, to, to be offered to go back to Chesterfield, wow, we're back to Chesterfield. So I said, John, yeah, of course I'll come. The next morning I went to Chesterfield and I was in, back at Saltgate with Kev Randall, who I loved. You know, Kev was one of my, I watched him play and, you know, and uh, he, he was my coach and, uh, you know, I trained with Kev and I loved him. John was a nice guy as well. John Duncan, Sean was there, Ernie, Bob Newton, you know, and cracking me hard. I can't remember who else, my friends over you know, there. And I was like, wow, you know. But then I had the same problem because Bob Newton, I think Bob was like, knew his place was under jeopardy because I'd come in as a third striker. You know, John was going to rotate us, you know, keep everybody fresh and, you know, try and get promotion. Um, but, you know, um, it, it was it was great because um, I got in there and, and scored some really important goals, you know, some 1-0 wins. And uh, I think it was my first game or second game. <laughs> we sat in the dressing room and um, John Duncan said, right, one change this. And Bob, you're rested. Phil, you were the number nine. And I knew Bob would not be happy. And I wouldn't have been happy because obviously I wanted to play. And Bob, Bob, he, he never said anything to me. He actually said to me, because Bob was a nice guy, he said to me, good luck. And he went, what, what, the dressing room? We got changed. We go out to the pitch and um, on Saltergate, we're playing, we're playing Scunthorpe. Um, Frank Barley was the manager of Scunthorpe. Mm-hmm. So Paul Gregory was the goalkeeper. So I wanted to do well. Come to playing against Frank uh, and Paul. And um, I go out warming up and they announced the team over the loudspeaker. They used to announce it at Saltgate. In goal today, number one. And it came to number nine, replacing Bob Newton, Phil Walker. The whole crowd booed. Right behind the spying cop, was it, where the crowd was? There was booed. And they were singing, we want Newton. We want Newton. Imagine how I felt, you know, you get regularly get booed by the away crowds, which kind of spurs you on. When your own crowd booze, it, it, sent, it puts you a bit on edge. Yeah. Anyway, went went back in, go out, kick off. And I scored after 15, 20 minutes. Scored a great goal on my left foot. We take the lead 1-0. The crowd singing still the whole game. We want Newton. And every time I got the ball, they booed me. Just that section of fans. Come after the game, 1-0. And because we laugh about it, guess who was sat, stood in the crowd? <laughs> Let me guess. <laughs> What was Bob Newton there orchestrating it yes. all along? Bob Newton had gone and stood in the cop and he orchestrated all his mates because he was the hero. Gone in there and told them all, I've been dropped for him. Let's, and he stopped. He was, he was one singing. He was one set to all off. And we laugh about it. You know, he, he was, he, that was his way of, of you know, he was upset, you know, the passion that he show, you know, when, you, when you're not in the team. But he, he was back in the next game. I think I was probably rested and, or Ernie was rested. And we rotated it, you know. And, yeah, and exactly. John, John. Saying that you probably played more away games. <laughs> yeah, I played, it, was, it was a joke really because yeah, I played most of the away games because I, I could hold the ball up and obviously when you weigh you can hold the ball up and I was experienced where Bob and Ernie were just kind of you know, they were brilliant players but both of them are not very good on the ball Bob was a quick player and he'd 
good when the ball was going forward, whereas an Ernie was good in the air. But I was a good like link play between midfield and forward. So I played away some games, and Ernie was sub, and, and vice versa. You know, and, but we were great. We we all we all got on really well together. And of course, we we we, we won the league, and I've I've even got my my championship medal here, look, Dave. Oh, nice. That's my fourth division. Oops. That's my fourth division manage, championship manager, season 94 to 98, which was proudly received um, in the stand after the game with all the team, which included some great players. You know, it was a fantastic to give the fans, you know, some success. And, yeah, and finally, we should mention, uh, we should mention Scarborough um, <laughs> because, because that was with Warnock, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> right, you kind of went, were you like running a pub at the time and, and kind of doing well, it part time? Well, what happened was I, I was at, um, at Chesford in that second year when we got promotion. And once again, I, I'd had a few injuries and I was really struggling. I'd played a few games, um, but obviously struggling. And towards I was, my contract was coming to an end and Neil came into the bar after a game midweek in January, February, March time. And he said, to, he pulled me. And I, I knew of him because I'd, I'd seen him at the PFA doing, I knew he was an ex Chesterfield player. He was Burton manager. And he said to me, I think I'm going to get the Scarborough job and the doors open now to the Football League. The first, whoever wins it gets automatic promotion from, it's in 1987. And he said, would you come? He said, I know what money you're on here because he was good friends with Kev Randall. He said, if you get released, will you come? I'll pay you the wage, it'll all be tax-free. It's all, then it's classed as expenses. And he said, I want you, Cesspod, who was a Bradford City legend, Ray McHale, who had played for Chesterfield and Brighton, uh, Steve Richards, Tommy Graham, ex-Scunthorpe, Arthur. He'd picked five or six experienced players who was going to pay good money. Will you come? And I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. But I, I got a free transfer. And then uh, Wrexham offered me a contract under Dixon McNeil, but I didn't want to go down there. I was... 30. I wanted to stay at Chester, but John said, look, you're struggling with injuries. You know, I'm going to let you go. So I rang Neil and um, I turned down offer to Sweden, uh, Malta, lots of international clubs offer you to go, but I didn't want to go. I'd got two young children. Yeah. So um, I said, yeah, I'll come. So um, I, Neil was a shropodist then and uh, he lived in Worksop. So I lived in Mansfield. So I drove my car to his house and he had a club car. And I used to drive because he used to like to have a drink and I, I didn't really drink. So he, he, I drove him to the, to, the, to the games and, you know, we'd have a few drinks after and he'd have a few drinks after and I'd drive him back, you know. And um, I got on really good with him. And, and, and obviously I played in that team and played, I think I played every game that season, uh, pretty much every game. And we won promotion to the Football League. I mean, there was six, 7,000 at the last game. Um, we did a tour of the town in an open top bus. There were hundred, I don't know how many people. It was packed, and it was incredible because we. we and I've got my trophy here for that lot with this one. This is the league that Chesterfield are in now. You see, uh, but obviously it was called the Vauxhall Conference in 1987, yeah. but now it's called the National League. It's the same thing that Chesterfield hopefully will get out of. Um, and we, of course, we won promotion. And, and Neil, me, me and Neil, Neil was, he was so funny. People, a lot of people don't like him, but he's, he's, I love him. I, I, he, you know, he's, he's a good friend. And if I ever wanted anything, like when I got him to come and manage the Chesterfield Legends team for Ernie's charity game to raise money for dementia, I rang him and he's living in Cornwall. He said, of course I'll come. And what time do you want me there? And he drove up on the day and, uh, and he came. <laughs> but it was funny because some players won't play because he was manager. <laughs> he refused to play Danny Wilson wouldn't play so he, I won't play because obviously I don't like him because he upsets everybody 
just he just winds everybody up. You've seen him on, you know, on the interviews, um, you know. But I like him, and I think he's a brilliant man. He's he's a, he said to me, "You don't have to train, Phil. I know you've got injury problems. Just come, I'll nurse you through, and just play. I know you can score goals." And I think I scored 15, 16 goals that season. I never trained. I never trained. I just when I say never trained, I just you know just joined a little bit of jogging and a bit of, but I never did the physical training that John Duncan required and Arthur Cox to play at the professional level, you know, because I used my experience to get us through. Well, we've got a managing director for a goalkeeper who owns his own uh, building firm, and then we've got uh, lads unemployed, we've got uh, a fireman, a pub landlord, we've got a, a guy who sells beer, a beer representative. Uh, we've got a, I've got a solicitor for an assistant, just in case I need any legal <laughs> wrangle. Uh, it's quite, you know, uh, an open. We've got a bus driver. The local lad in Scarborough drives for the local bus bus company. We're all misfits. We're all being kicked out of one club and another, and we've all come together, and it's it's gone nice. What will happen now? Because as you say, you've all got your own full-time jobs. What will you do? Uh, panic. <laughs> and even when we won promotion, he said to me. Um, you know, I don't think now we're in football league. You're going to be playing because your legs have gone. He said, "I'll give you a year contract as a thank you. You can do some scouting for me, and just get a year to decide what you're going to do." And it was then when I ran that pub in Chesterfield, Chesterfield Arms, which is right near the Saltergate Ground. I ran that while I was playing for Scarborough, the back end, um, because once again I knew my career was coming to an end. Um, didn't enjoy it in the pub, and um, so we did it for a few months. Sean O'Neill, who ran a pub, helped me on that. Um, we, we, we decided to leave, so we left the, the pub. Um, I carried on playing for Scarborough. Um, I was contracted to them, because once we was in the Football League, it had to be a proper contract. So I left the pub, and obviously I did some scouting for Neil, some coaching, some scouting. Um, and it was from there where, where obviously I started to realise my career was coming to an end. Um, I went up to Altringham on loan for a month, as, a, as a, like Neil asked me, and Tommy Doherty was their manager. The old Man United manager, so that was a great experience playing under him. Uh, but then I, I left, and uh, you know I went to Matlock um, part time, and um, and obviously started working at Centre Parks back in 1988, running the soccer schools. And to this day, I'm still there, even though I'm only part time now. But I've done that for 30, 32 years, and working with children, loved every minute of it, you know. So, um, and I've also worked in in Leeds United, Forest in Chesterfields Academy um, and Mansfields as well, um, you know, a, a few years ago. And I'm now back in Chesterfields Academy, although it's only part-time. Um, and I'm also a magistrate in court, which which I really enjoy, mainly in Mansfield because uh, of where I'm based. Um, but I, I'm being told I might be going to Chesterfield soon, so um, which I, I really enjoy that. And, you know, most people are nice people, Dave, but there's some horrible people out there. And it's my job to keep us all safe you know, and uh, keep the really nasty people off the street. So I enjoy doing that. So, you know, I love Mansfield. I love Chesterfield as, as a place, you know. So, um, yeah, it's been, I've had a great life, you know, and I've got my grandchildren now. So, um, but yeah. now Chesterfield, Chesterfield's the first resort I look for, you know, and I hope they get promotion this year. You know, the new manager's doing absolutely brilliant, you know, and, yeah. uh, because his assistants, George Foster, and me and George had several clashes when we played against each other. <laughs> you know, I'm sure when I, I've never, I've still, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bumped across him since I've been at the club, come back to the club. But I'm sure when we do, we'll just shake hands and, you know, wish each other all the best because he was a great player. You know, as a centre half, played against him many times. He was a very aggressive player, good player. 
but we had clashes like you do, <laughs> you know. But no, I, I wish him every success, and, and of course the manager as well, and the club, and you know, hopefully when I when they, they open the gates, we can get back and watch a few games.